You guys ready? Get your Bibles out and go to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel only because of something I saw. Something that, it, you know, even though I know it to be true, the reality of it hit me like a ton of bricks. Justin, go ahead and put that picture of the Wailing Wall up there. When I was on the airplane going to Israel, they put me beside a large man. I mean, he was a good, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a pastor of a church, but he was about six foot something, three, four pounds, almost 400 pounds. He's just a big man. And uh, I'm not small. And then Lisa was on the end, and, and he took up two seats, and I took up one and a half, and it wasn't a very good situation. So I called the stewardess and I said, um, is there anything in business? And they upgraded me. Had to hand them a little bit of money. But they stuck me between a Jewish man and a Jewish woman. One from Memphis, Tennessee, and the other one from Chicago. Both of them live in Israel now. But they were born in the United States, both grew up Jewish. And for two and a half, three hours, we talked about Jesus. And it, it was wonderful. Now, the, the lady to my left from New York said, I mentioned something about Messiah. She said, yours, not mine. Real. I went, okay. And um, then the man to my right, he, he was very gracious. He, he uh, sent me all kind of links to study all the brands of Judaism. You know, the little guys with the black hats, they call them penguins. I didn't know that's funny. And then the guys with the little, you know, there's all brands. Just there's, there's like Jews are like Christians. There's Baptists and Methodists and all that other stuff. And what was fun was that in the morning when it came time for his prayers, he shut me down and got his prayer book out. And on the money, don't read the Psalms. And when I started watching the rituals, for instance, when we were Friday night at dark is Sabbath. And four minutes before Sabbath, they're in the synagogue and they sing a song. And I mean, when the Sabbath hits, streets are flat slap empty. Nobody's moving. In the Jewish sector, Muslim sector, not so. And it caused me to begin to think. I, I sat on the airplane and I began to ask myself, if I had to witness to one of these guys, what in the world would I say? Really got me to thinking strong about it all the way on the airplane going to Israel. But when I got to Israel, when I woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning, and you understand that when you get there, your, your body clock is not right. And I want to tell you, it's just now getting back right again here. I've been sleeping at all weird. Lisa and I had breakfast like 5 o'clock this morning. Dinner time for us, you know. <laughs> so our body clock's a little off. But this is the Wailing Wall, and you guys heard about it. And on the other side of the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall, is the Dome of the Rock. That is the place, and we're going to read about it in just a minute, the reason I wanted to put it. That's the place that Abraham um, took his son, and God asked him, you know, to sacrifice your son, and we'll read it in a minute. And that's also the place Jesus was crucified. And that's where they built the Holy of Holies, right there. Somewhere, not, not where it was. Holy of Holy was. Now, the reason people line up there and pray is they want to get as close to the spot the Holy of Holies was. They think there's something special about that rock. The closer I can get to it. And there's Christians go there too. People travel from all over the world to try to get a prayer answered. Do you all see the dilemma we have here? Where is the Holy of Holies? It's in the Holy of Holies. I'm walking, the Holy of Holies is walking around there and they don't even know it. If they could get to me, they could get to God. Now, I'm standing there thinking about this stuff and I'm, and I'm really meditating on it. And 4 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and the Lord began to talk to me. He said, there's something I want you to say. Now, I gave a seven-minute one on, um, uh, in Gedi where David and where 
David was in the, in the cave and Saul came to relieve himself. And um, so they asked me to, to minister there. And I told you Sunday morning, we were on a group with Baptist pastors. Now that was fun. Because it was me and Justin, Lisa, and Doug Bankston and his son. And uh, we, we had fun. Justin, bless his little heart. You know, he's so sweet. He don't... He just obeys God. He don't care who's Christian to him is Christian. He jumps up on the bus, grabs the mic and says, the Lord told me to pray for you. Everybody here is sick. And he started quoting the word of God and started praying for him. A bunch of Baptists got healed. Yeah. Hallelujah. I was sitting there going, that's fine. Glory to God. Justin, go for it. But um, I want you to do something. I want you to go to Romans chapter 9. And... Uh, and um, you know, if you just if you hadn't been saved long, what I'm going to teach you tonight is probably one of the most powerful things you'll ever learn in your entire life. And even though you've been saved a while, this is something you cannot. Don't you ever forget what I'm going to read. I'm going to start reading. We're going to talk about because of Jesus. We'll start with verse 25 in Romans 9. It says, and he said in the book of Hosea, I will call them, talking about Gentiles, my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it'll come to pass in the place where I said to them, you're not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Now he's referring to the Gentiles coming into the kingdom, being born again. And Isaiah cried out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work on the earth. Verse 29 says, As Isaiah said, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left a seed, we would have become like Sodom and been like Gomorrah. Now look at verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, now that would be, the word Gentiles is the, word, is the Greek word gohim. It means without God. It's everybody, not Jewish. Okay. This is very, very important what I'm reading. They did not pursue righteousness, yet they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, had not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, and as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Chapter 10, verse 1. My brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now stop right there. I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to think about this because this is very serious, serious thing going about serving God, and I'm not saying this to be crude, every one of them die, go to hell. That's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? You know, and I'm, I'm saying that not to, not to be a smarty. We've got to start praying. I want you as a church to know why you're going to heaven, and I want you to be able to share righteousness with people who don't know. I want you to know your Bible well enough that if you run into people who are doing everything, they're good people. I want you to know how, how do you witness to a good person? We understand a person who's living like the, the devil, but I'm talking about someone who is, I mean, they, they have, have a better moral law than we do. I mean, I, I was sitting there thinking, wouldn't it be nice if, People came to church in America like the Jews do on the Sabbath. They go to they go to synagogue. I mean, they don't miss it. They don't really care whether they like the pastor or not. They go. Thank you all for y'all's enthusiasm. I thought, well, that's one good thing you got going for you over here, you know. But, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, Sundays, ain't nothing open. And, and actually, I liked it. You know, we sat on the front porch and snapped peas and cut up watermelon and um, made ice cream and, and we played outside. I mean, we went to church and we went, Dairy Queen 
was open, but it, it wasn't, it, it was an, how do you, you know the little thing with a cone on top, you don't know, nobody went in, you just stopped after church and everybody got an ice cream, I always thought when I knew when mom left church and headed through town a certain way, we, we're going to Dairy Queen, and I always got the vanilla dipped in chocolate, that was it, I mean, you know, I'm one of these people that I get the exact same thing every time I go, I don't deviate, if it's good, there ain't no sense, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. But, you know, I remembered that, and it was kind of nice because the whole world slowed down long enough for you to rest. And I think God would like for us to do that again. I think he'd like for us to take a rest. And um, they, they get in the Word. They, it's, that's family time. They go home. They, they spend time the day in the Word, reading the Bible, and with their wife and their children. The guy told me on the plane, he says, we don't touch a computer, and we will not touch money the whole Sabbath. won't even touch it. And uh, we, we discipline ourselves to only do family. And, that's, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that we, should, we could learn something from this. But anyway, I'm reading this, I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this man on the plane, and I'm thinking about this guy, and I'm, and I'm asking myself, how in the world would I talk to him? And I'm going to show you what I came to, but I want to show you why I'm doing this. It's, so go to verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things will live by him. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Don't say in your heart who's going to ascend into heaven, bring Christ down from above, or who's going to descend into the abyss to bring Christ from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, one of the most difficult things that I deal with with, with believers is this word righteousness. It's, it seems to be very difficult to grasp because we've been trained that righteousness and holiness are the same thing, and they're not. Now, why did, when you came to Jesus, when you, when you were born again, why did God accept you? It's very good. I mean, it's a good question. You really need to think about this. Not just because of your salvation being born again, but everything that you do, why does God answer your prayer? Because of what Jesus did. Period. Now, what happens to us is that sometimes we get saved and then we start working to earn our prayers getting answered. And that's, that's really not right. You should live right, yeah. But, you know, every one of us know that we don't all live right. I mean, we, you do not live right every day, all the time, perfect. I don't, you don't, none of us do. And if, if, you, if you don't understand righteousness, you're going to live, you're going to struggle just like the Jews trying to earn their salvation. You're trying to earn a healing, trying to earn God's answer. We all have this, we all have a certain amount of guilt complex. I didn't pray enough. I didn't do that right. I said that wrong. I shouldn't have said that. We all walk around with this guilt, and, and that causes us, especially when you're a Christian, and you do something stupid, you go, I can't go down to that church, I'm a hypocrite. Well, if that's true, we all are. We ought to all stay home. No. That's like saying, I can't go to the hospital, I'm sick. When you're not doing good, this is the place you need to be. You need to get in here. But it's not because, but, but you understand that you need to get rooted in righteousness. You need to get rooted in why God answers your prayers anyway. And it's because of Jesus. It's because, it's because of his righteousness. Now, I'm going to get us all to do something in a minute. We're going to make some confessions about righteousness. And I'm going to tell you, when you first start walking around going, I'm righteous as God, your, mouth, your, 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 your brain goes, I ain't saying that. I ain't saying that. I mean, he's pretty righteous. Well, we're not talking about you. It, is Jesus as righteous as God? Well, he gave you his righteousness. So how righteous are you? As righteous as God. Now, watch who you say that to. 
Because in some places in America, they'll still stone you to death for making that statement. And I'm talking church. <laughs> okay, go to Romans chapter 4. And this is what I preached there. I, it, I, uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. What, verse 1, what can I say about Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? When, when did Moses come along? How long after Abraham was Moses born? Anybody have any idea? 430 years. So we know that Abraham was not righteous by keeping law. There wasn't any, right? So we're talking about the fact that we, Abraham is the father of our faith. Moses hadn't even been thought of. So if Abraham became righteous, now I'm talking, I'm thinking Jew. I'm, I'm sitting on an airplane, I'm thinking about this Jew here and this Jew here, and my mind is reeling how in the world is this man and this man becoming righteous by Moses when righteousness was given to Abraham and Moses wasn't even thought of for 430 years? I mean, I'm talking about how to talk to someone who's legalistic. And then I'm talking about how to talk to Christians because Pentecostalism, listen, the penny, I don't know whether you all know enough about church history. Um, let me give you a little, little, little overview of church. Um, you got the Catholic Church that became political and back in uh, Constantine because the church had gotten so powerful, it was more powerful than the government. So the government accepted Christianity and the Catholic Church was born, but it was more political than Christian. And, they, and it had more to do with running of government and still do. All right. All right. Not every. I mean, there's Catholics that are born again. All right. Then you've got Baptists, good Baptists, and, and you're gonna, we're going to read their favorite scripture in a minute. There's none righteous, no, not one. And they're real good at soul winning, but they're kind of, um, you know, Calvinist that everything that happens good and bad is God. He's just running everything. If, if you had a bad day, it was, it was God teaching you something. So anyway, that's kind of the Baptist thing. Then there's Methodist. Now, Methodists, they're not Calvinists. They're Armenians, and Armenians are holiness. It's Jesus plus living right. Now, that's, that's initial, you know, and it's kind of hard to explain old Wesleyan because they're all good people. Many of them born again. A lot of them had really good doctrines. A lot of them good people. But they believed in the second work of grace or what we would call renew your mind and put your flesh on. Do you understand that? We understand that we're born again by receiving Jesus, but they never differentiated between spirit, soul, and body. They didn't understand trichotomy, and they knew that, well, I'm saved, but I'm not saved. They knew that, and they didn't understand how to, how to express that to someone, so they worked toward sanctification after they were born. They didn't use the word born again. That, that term didn't even come around for years, even though Jesus talked to Nicodemus. And they, so, so they called it, um, I, I think it was justification or just as if I'd never sinned or regeneration. So they called it accepting Jesus and then you needed to, uh, you know, cut your, cut your hair get ugly, take your makeup off, go to church, live right. And then there came a day in your life when you became holy. And they called it uh, sanctification or second work of grace. And that was what uh, E.W. Kenyon was a Methodist, and he just backslid. He said, ah, what the heck, I can't live like this. Then he became a free will Baptist. All right. That was a Baptist who believe you have a free will and God's not running everything. Just the name's in it. So, so church history has always, you know, th there aren't any of these guys in the 1500s that had it all together. So if you go to a church and they're following a doctrine from the 1500s, we've, we've advanced a little bit. 
That's kind of not smart to go back in the 1500s and follow somebody that didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of God. Okay, don't shout me down because I'm preaching with that. All right. So anyway, we come into the modern day and, and, and a charismatic, which is what we are, we're not Pentecostals. The guys on the bus called us Pentecostals, and I said, well, we're not Pentecostals. Our wives have makeup on. And Lisa looked at me and said, I don't. I said, yeah, you messed up my sermon. Anyway, um, but we're not Pentecostals because Pentecostals literally were Church of God, Assemblies of God, and they had a doctrine of living right. And, and some of them knew that living, they were saved, but they had to live right. And some of them thought that, li- that if you died and you sinned, you go to hell. I don't care if you're saved. And so they lived in literal fear. And then you got the extreme Baptists, once saved, always saved. We live like hell. It don't matter anyway. And so both of them are totally wrong. And so, you know, you just got to get your Bible out and study. But this term of righteousness People thought, well, you know, there's none righteous, no, not one. And where did, that, where did that come from? Why was the church preaching that for years? Primarily, the Baptist preached it every Sunday. Kind of like we preach Mark 11, 23, and 24 every Sunday. Not really. So where did that come from? Why, why was that emphasized? Well, in, in, um, in church history, again, when Martin Luther got a hold of the scripture, the just live by faith, he realized that when a person puts their faith in God, something happens in them. And he never gave an altar call. They didn't give altar calls back in the Lutheran church or in those days at all. So he, somebody said, well, how do you know whether I'm saved or not? And they'll say, well, you'll just become good. Okay, sounds logical. So then we come into the United States of America and we've got people going to church that are good. And they're not saved. So the Baptists got the bright idea to stand up and start preaching that you're not saved because you're good. As y'all, y'all see how all of this has evolved over years. And so they started preaching to the people just because you come to church, I mean, if you told a liar, go unto hell, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so, you know, they would find out that, yeah, you have to be born again. And so because that was preached, everybody just got real rooted in ain't nobody righteous. So then Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland come along and, and started reading the Bible and other people did too. They're not the only ones. They're the ones that I remember. And, it's, and Brother Hagin came out of the Baptist church, became Assemblies of God. And it got to the place where neither one of them wanted them. That's why they started going outside the church. And Dennis Bennett, the Episcopalian priest, started preaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, Kenneth Hagin started preaching that, that man is righteous by the blood of Jesus. Now, the church would not accept it because the average church member in America never reads their Bible. They wouldn't know. You know and I'm going to tell you something right now. This may shock you. I have sat with Baptist pastors. And, and I, when I taught in the university over here, Faith Christian University, there were Baptist pastors sitting there, and I'm preaching that you're righteous. And they'd get indignant with me. And I would look at them real kindly and I'd say, you, you'd know better if you actually read the Bible. Now, I'm going to say something y'all. You may not believe what I'm going to say. You can graduate from seminary and never read the Bible. Most preachers graduate from seminary and never crack a Bible for, for years. I know y'all look at me like, that's why they don't know whether your homosexuality is right or not. They don't have a clue. They're ignorant as rocks. Most, many of them are not even saved. You know what they do with the pastors who can't make it? They make professors in the university out of them. So the dumbest people in the church are teaching them. American, American religion is screwed up. This is why God went and got a bunch of hippies saved and made pastors out of them. And the first thing he said was, would you please read the book? And we just sat down and read it and went, oh, this is a pretty good book. We should preach this. So, <laughs> no, that's not. so, so it isn't that we're not righteous. What, the book, what Paul taught in the book of Romans is that you're not righteous by law. 
It didn't teach you that you weren't righteous. Now, now, you have to actually read the Bible to figure this out. So many of those Baptist pastors who were in that class, they wrote me letters after the class and went, you have no idea, you have totally changed my life. Well, I didn't, I just, I just got them to read it. You know, we should, let's just read the book. And um, everybody that you meet on the street, they know about Job and they ain't unrighteous, no, not one. If they went to church at all, they've heard those two things, Job's thorn and Paul's thorn and, and, and Job's sickness and ain't nobody righteous. So anyway, so anyway, let's, 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 let me finish reading four and we're going to jump over here to chapter three and read that. If Abraham was justified, and the word justified is basically the same Greek word as righteous. It's like male and man. They are a different word, but they basically have the same root meaning. They're both, they're, they're really, they're really for all practical purposes the same word. So you can change, you can interchange the word justified with the word righteous if you want to when you're reading your Bible. It's like saying male and man, the same thing. Okay, female and woman. All right. But if Abraham was made righteous by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed something and God accredited what he believed and decided to declare he's righteous. Now notice the word accounted him. So let me make a statement to you so you don't get, I don't lose you. Was he made righteous? No, because he wasn't born again. When you, the word accounting is a term that under the old covenant, people under the old covenant had righteousness accounted to them, though Jesus had not died yet. Because you could believe in Jesus going to do something and God accredited that to you as, and gave you righteousness as a loan. That's why Abraham went down into the, the, the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16. And they stayed there until Jesus rose from the dead and they came out. None, nobody went to heaven until Jesus died on the cross. Not even Abraham, not David, nobody. Okay. It's very important for you to understand this. Now, one of the, let me tell you another reason I'm saying this. I want to make sure that when the devil comes, number one, it starts messing with you. And number two, the rest of your life, you need to know how to show someone you really are saved. How would you do it? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, give me a scripture and show me what that means. What does that mean? Satan believes in Jesus. Many Christians can't show you how, why they're saved. They know they are. Well, they can't even grab a Bible and show it to you. They can't even show someone else how to do it. For years, I couldn't lead anybody to the Lord. I didn't know how to do it. I would tell them all about Jesus and say, go to church. I absolutely did not have any idea how to get anybody born again. It bothered me to no end, and that's one of the things that drove me to the Word of God. i got to find this out. That's a mystery, you know. So let's finish this. Verse 4, now to him who works, the Jews, wages are not counted as grace but a debt. But to him who does not work, verse 5, believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. So, so go to Genesis chapter 15 with me. Go over there. Let's go. And I'm going to show you something. I don't, I've, never, I've never heard anybody preach this. I guess I'm the only one. I'm sure people know this, but I don't know why people. Because I always read in my Bible and thought, wait a minute. If Abraham is made righteous because God said you're going to have a son, how come the rest of us need to believe in Jesus? Are y'all thinking of I the only one? Y'all, get your brain, get it going. Get your, get your cogs going in your head. Because most people don't ever think about that. Well, Abraham believed that God was going to give him a son and God gave, accounted it to righteousness. No, he did not. 
No, he didn't. He got saved the same way you did. He believed in Jesus, didn't he? Had to, had to. All right, I'm going to show it to you. Are you all ready? Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. and says, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what are you going to give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, um, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one board of my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came and says, this one will not be your heir. But the one will come from your own body will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, I want you to look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to. And he said to him, so your descendants will be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it for righteousness. Sure sounds like he's believing because of, of having a boy or a kid, right? Sounds like it to me. But let's keep reading. And he said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land. And he said, Lord, how do I know I'm going to inherit it? All right, now let's think about this for a minute. Have you ever wondered how you're going to make God keep it? I like something Andrew says. Your faith doesn't move God. If God don't move on his own, he ain't moving. You, what are you going to do, get a lawyer? Come on, get, let's get serious here a minute. What if God doesn't keep his word? What are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. So here God shows up. There's no Old Testament, New Testament. There's no synagogue, not even a Baptist church around. And he's talking to Abraham and says, I'm going to do this for you. And he said, how in the world I know you're going to do it? I mean, you could leave tomorrow and I'd never see you again. Come on. That's, you're going to give me a kid. I mean, I believe you can, but you know, how, how do I know you will? What in the world are you going to do to prove to me you're going to keep your word? Yeah, he cut a covenant. The covenant is more powerful than a contract. Covenant, you can't, when you swear by a covenant, you swear by yourself. So when you cut a covenant with someone, you have given that person you. That's why people don't cut covenants. They do in Africa. Marriage is a blood covenant. That, now the reason that adultery is wrong is not because sex is wrong. That woman gave herself to that man, and that man gave himself to that woman, and they did it before God. And they said, God, you judge me if I break it. And he will. Whoa. You, you ask him to be the overseer of your covenant. That's the most sacred thing you can do is cut covenant. Okay, so Abram says to God, how do I know? And so he tells him, he says, I want you to go get, well, let's, let's read it because I want you to see what he says. He said, you bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And they brought him and he cut him in two, placed him in the opposite of the other, and he cut the birds in two. When the vultures came down the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and a horror and a great darkness fell on him. And he said to Abraham, now this is, he's talking to him while he's in this, he's in a, he's whatever. I don't want to call it a trance, he's whatever he's in. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterwards. They'll come out with the great possessions. Now for you, you'll go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. And the fourth generation, they'll return here. Verse 17. When it came to pass, the sun went down, it was dark. And there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch and passed through those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to give you this land. Now go to John 8, 56. And let's just put it on screen and let's read it. I want you to see this. Now, we could, you know what the word supposition means? I could, you, you, I could say, I think this is when Abraham saw Jesus dying on the cross. And you could, you could argue with me and say, it doesn't say that. You're right, it doesn't. But Jesus said, look at what Jesus said. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and it was glad. 
So we know from Jesus, he saw Jesus. I don't know when, I think it's here, but whether it was here or not here, at some point, Abraham saw the cross. He saw that God was going to cut a covenant with his own blood. That's what Abraham saw, and he believed God. Do you all see that? Because he can't get saved one way and you get saved another. That dog don't hunt. We're all saved by blood. Abraham had to be saved by blood or he's not saved. He's not saved because God's going to give him a kid. Do you all understand that? There's no other way than by blood. All right. Now, I'm going to jump ahead. Go to, verse, go to the next verse and I want to show you this. And Jesus said, you're not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. Go to the next one. And he said, most surely as before Abraham was, I am. So we understand that by reading this, somewhere Abraham saw Jesus on a cross. God's cutting a covenant with Abraham, and he's saying, I'm going to cut this with, I'm cutting a covenant with a man, Jesus. Now that's called Old Covenant and New Covenant. Now let's go back to the Jews on the airplane. The lady on the left from New York said to me, why is it you Christians don't believe in the Old Testament? I said, we do believe in the Old Testament. Now, I didn't know what to say to her. That's why, that's where this whole sermon came, talking to her plus other people. Because it says in the Bible, I think it's uh, either Jeremiah, or, it says, in that day, I'm going to cut a new covenant with the house of Israel. So when Jesus was in the upper room, he said, there's a new covenant in my blood. Now, the old covenant was between God and a man, and they kept breaking it. The new covenant is between God and the man, Jesus, and neither one of them have broke it, so you're fine. Now, do you understand why we believe in, why we believe the way we do? Because if you're a Jew and you're trusting in your works, honey, you're not going to make it. If you're anybody in your, you know, and I've had people look at me and go, I'm a good person. Uh, so, I mean, every once in a while, we, we really need to revisit that without Jesus, you're, on your, you're a sorry, good for nothing. Now, listen, listen let, I mean, let me just say it to the way God said it. Your, your works are as filthy rags. The Hebrew word filthy rags is a kotex. I didn't make it up. I'm not trying to be vulgar. It's your blood from a vagina. You've offered God a kotex for, you, for your salvation. That's pretty vulgar. For you to say, I'm righteous without Jesus. Well, that God goes, I'll ship you to hell forever for that. But yet, how many people are doing it? Now, I didn't make that up. I actually looked that up one day because I kind of want to know what is, you know, and I'm not trying to be. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are kind of offensive. I mean, they're, they're, when you read the real Greek, there's one place that, that um, in the Old Testament he says, if you think circumcision saves you, why don't you cut the whole thing off? And I read it and went, No. And I can't believe that's in your Bible. We've changed it because Christians can't handle that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think we'll just, we'll just be righteous by the blood of Jesus. We just thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. I knew y'all would like it. All right. So you understand. Um, now, now let's go back to Abraham for a minute. Now, do you remember the day that God said, take your son Isaac, and he went up on the mount where we just showed the picture of the Holy Holies, that's where he took him. But in the movie, Abraham is, oh, he's falling off. He just grabbed the boy and headed up the mountain. And he gets up there and he says, uh, Dad, I can see the wood and the knife. and I don't see a sacrifice. Now, if you'll go back and read it, he said, God will provide what? Himself. Where did he get that? He saw it. All right. Now, 
Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Are you all okay? I'm going somewhere tonight because I, 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 I want to get you rooted. What I'm doing is, y'all have seen the, the tree out there Lisa put uh, in the foyer, the, the, the logo for our church. That is a tree in Isaiah that's, that's in other words, if you want a victorious life, you must be rooted in righteousness. You have to get rooted in righteousness. You have to know how you became righteous and that you are. Now, the average baby Christian runs around with a big, massive guilt complex because Satan beats him. He did me. The devil beat me. When I first got saved, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. And I mean, I, I thought if I did something wrong, I was going to die and go to hell still after I was saved. And, you know, you, the devil just beats you up. And it's very difficult to grasp that I'm righteous because the moment you say it, you're like, no, nah, no, no, <laughs> I'm not either. It's very difficult to believe that you're righteous because of your faith in Jesus. In other words, did Jesus live a perfect life? Yeah, he did. When he died, he died in your place. You were there. You remember the old song? Were you there when they crucified the Lord? You go, I didn't even left the state of Florida. I wasn't there. I mean, I don't know nothing about being in, on no cross 2,000 years ago. No, you were there because Jesus was substitute man. When you cut a covenant... The men that are cutting the covenant are never the two kings cutting the covenant. They never cut it. They always have someone else cut it for them. That's called a substitute. A king or a chief will bring in a guy, he'll cut it. And then if I'm, if I'm a chief, then I'll get Paul to cut it. And Paul and Art will cut a covenant for, you know, Art to cut it for someone else. Paul cut it for me. And when these two cut covenant, then I'm in covenant with them. So in, in, in the mind of God, when Jesus cut a covenant, you did. So you're dead in sins, right? You're dead. You can't be married to someone else if you're alive. So the law killed you so you could get married. When you got born again, you and Jesus became one person. So he is righteous and you are too because you are now in the eyes of God, Christ. So what happens is whenever you are praying and, and, and the Bible's talking about put on the breastplate of righteousness, what that's for is the accusations that are coming at your soul. Why would God answer this prayer? You're not getting your healing this time. Anybody ever hear that? God ain't answering it this time. You don't, you, you hadn't done right. You know, all of the stuff starts happening because you have never learned God didn't do anything because of you anyway. I believe that teaching on righteousness will cause people to worship God. I believe you'll come in here and go, thank you. Oh, my God, thank you for what you did for me. Because it's, it's, it's still your faith in what he did that causes him to do anything for you. So don't ever get proud and start thinking you've added to it. Uh, I've been to church now for 10 years and paying my tithes. If anybody ought to get healed, it's me. Let me tell you something, you little heathen. God ain't, you ain't bought God. That's pride. That's, that's immoral. Are y'all out there to go home? Don't ever start looking at yourself like you some hot dog. You are not a hot dog. And everybody is getting in by the same blood. Kenneth Copeland, Jesse, <laughs> Kenneth Hagen, and you. I mean, ain't nobody more righteous than anybody else. That's good news, isn't it? Now, I'm saying this. Because unless you take these scriptures and start reading them to yourself over and over and over, you are not going to be rooted in righteousness. It won't be real to you. 
Your sins will be real to you. Your humanity will be real to you. you you've, got to, you've got to literally feed on Jesus' righteousness in order for you. See, once you start seeing, my God, I'm not, I'm not junk. I mean, he paid a high price for me. It isn't that it makes you haughty because you know it's a gift. But you also know now that you're not some junk. You can walk in the throne room and go, Heavenly Father, I'm coming here because I want prayer answered. And your head, you, your head starts fighting. You go, shut up. I've been made the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the blood of Jesus, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in here praying and I'm leaving with the answer to this prayer. Now, the church doesn't believe that. I'm going to prove it to you. You go to Benny Hinn's meeting and watch how many Christians are in line trying to get healed. They don't know who they are. All of that righteousness not doing them a bit of good because they're all a bunch of stepchildren. Pastor, pray for me. Pray for yourself. I'm not trying to be mean. Jordan doesn't go, Justin, go talk to dad. Justin goes, Jordan, you tell Jordan to come in here and talk to me. Don't tell me you don't come in here. You're not the high priest of the boys. Tell them to come see me themselves. They ain't getting nothing. How would you like that if it went on in your house? Okay. All right, let's read this. Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's in your Bible. There is nobody understands, nobody seeking God. Everybody's turned aside and they have become unprofitable. Is that you? There is none that does good. Your throat is an open tomb. Your tongues, you practice deceit. The poison of asp is under your lips. Your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Your feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery is in your way. The way of peace you have not known, and there is no fear of God in your eyes. Is that you? No, it's not you. It was you. He's talking about a lost person. He's not talking about you. Though when he's talk, so when you're talking to a person not saved, it's perfectly fine to look and say, there's nobody righteous, no, not one. You're talking to a sinner. And they're going, oh, I'm a pretty good person. And you go, no, you're not. You never kept the law. Don't look at me and tell me you never lied. You never stole nothing. You always had pure thoughts. You, and, you just like Jesus. Don't give me that. No, I don't know better than that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You're a heathen. I'm talking to a person not saved. But you can't bring this into the church and start talking to Christians like they're all unrighteous sinners. You see yourself as a sinner, you act like a sinner, and you're scared to death of God. You don't get draw near to God and spend time with Him. Why would you? You are heathen. And preachers delight in preaching to you like you're a heathen to put you full of fear to get you to tithe and come back to church. I'd rather you get free in Jesus and find out there's nothing you can do except Jesus and then do what you're doing because you love him. Then I can't beat you out of church. That's a whole lot better way to live for God, isn't it? Because of Jesus, I wouldn't make it. I can't wait to Sunday. Then you realize that it's not you making your paycheck anyway. Oh, I got to work on Sunday. No, you don't. If God can't get it to you in six days, you can't do it in seven, numb nut. There's a God and you're not him. All right, never mind. <laughs> I shouldn't say numb nut. I know that. Uh, that was mean. Forgive me. Verse 19, look at this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it is saying to those that are under the law. Are you? Thank you. So that every mouth will be stopped and the world becomes guilty before God. So what's the law for? To show you that you're a heathen. <laughs> you take you long to read the law and go, 
I'm going straight to hell when I die. <laughs> it didn't take long to read it and go, we, I'm in a heap of trouble. Right? And that's what the law is for. The law is to show you you need a Savior and you're not him. Now, let's, let's keep going because I, I just love this. I, I know that. No, 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 no. Now, the, verse 14, now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to all. And on all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the second scripture everybody knows. They don't know the one before or after. Being made righteous freely by grace through the redemption that's in Christ, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So how did you become righteous? By faith in Jesus. So the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God declared you a righteous human being. I want everybody to say, I'm righteous. How many of you, that sounded funny? It's like, that felt a little bit funny. It's not easy to say when you first start saying it. Because you're thinking, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm not holy. I'm not talking about you being holy. When Kenneth Copeland first started preaching this, he, was, he had a song about, we've been made the righteousness of God. They wouldn't air it on Christian radio stations around America. He said something on TV the other day. He was talking about it, and he says, "Yeah, t that was that was." He said this, and, and I and I I understand it. The he said the most difficult doctrine he ever preached to the church was, "You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ." Christians would kick it out because they're looking at themselves through the lens of their flesh. Now, what would happen if you actually started believing you were righteous? Do you think that would curb sin? Yes. Yeah, it would. And you start thinking, I'm just like Jesus. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start acting like him. You're going to realize that you're not junk. And you're going to go, wait a minute. A man of God wouldn't act like that. I'm a man of God. I mean, I'm the real deal. I'm righteous. Now, you understand in the Old Testament, Moses wasn't righteous. Abraham wasn't righteous. David wasn't righteous. So you're greater than David. <laughs> I like what Andrew said. That would get you kicked out of some churches. But didn't Jesus say the least in the kingdom is greater than any Old Testament prophet? Moses, everybody. You're greater. Because none of them were born again. You are. Isn't that amazing? Now, let's all oh, this. I, I hate that clock. I just hate it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we'll go through this real fast, and we'll get over. This is my favorite scripture in the Bible. 17. Look at verse 16. Now, now let's read this, because I want you to see this. From now on, we regard no one according to their flesh. Wow. What's your flesh prophet? Nothing. So we have to start looking at each other and realize that man and that woman sitting in church next to you, even though they may not have their act together, they're the righteousness of God. And you start placing a high value on people around you that are born again and on yourself. And don't see yourself anymore after your flesh. Well, you know, I'm Italian. No, you're not. You're a Christian. Well, I'm Puerto Rican. No, you're not. Well, you, you know, your flesh is. But listen, listen, listen. I worked with a lady one time. She says, you know, I have a temper because I'm Italian. I said, you have a temper just because you have a temper. There's no scripture in the Bible that says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, except for Italians. 
You know, if you called sin, sin, you'd quit. Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. Therefore, from now on, we regard no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, that means that you're, you're in him and he's in you. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away and everything became new. Now, all of this is of God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what is that? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Now, so why were you going to hell? Only for rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus already died for all your sins. Think about that for a week. That's a very liberating thought. He's already died for everybody's sins. Even, even the homosexuals and adulterers and Mary all over the earth. He's already died for them. So God won't judge him for sin. But he will judge him for not receiving Jesus and saying no. But when you do, hallelujah. All right, let's finish this because I don't want you all to go sleep on me. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you or ask you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took sin, all of humanity's sin, and how much of it did he pay? Well, then how much is left to be paid? None. So if he bore it, you don't have to bear it. So what is sickness? It's payment for sin. Go to Isaiah 54. I'm going to show you why there's a problem in the church, and we're going to close with this. Now, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I've been talking about prayer and I'm still talking about prayer. I just had to come in the back door tonight. Look at Isaiah 54, verse 14. In righteousness you shall be established. How do you get established in life? You get your roots and you run them in the soil of righteousness. And you go, once you're rooted in righteousness, there's not a devil in hell take you down. But the church is not. How do you do this? Well, get you a Bible and go through the book of Romans and underline righteousness and begin reading out loud who you are. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. And every time the devil starts beating on your head, go back to Romans and meditate on who you are. Meditate on it. Open your mouth and go, him who knew no sin became sin, that I might be made righteous. Once you're rooted in righteousness, all of the scriptures about healing, the reason people don't get healed, they can't see it, is not because they don't believe in healing. You have people in the church, everybody in church, I believe in healing. I believe in healing. Everybody raise their hand. Are you sick? Yeah. It's not because you believe in healing. It's because you, you're not rooted in righteousness. Once you go, I'm as righteous, did Jesus get his prayers answered? Why? Because he's righteous. You can't even fathom Jesus having the flu. How can you fathom you having it? It's quiet in this Baptist church. How can you fathom you if his righteousness, if he gave you his righteousness? Go to Romans 5.17. Let me read it to you before we go. Y'all getting this? Do you understand that is the key to prayer? In right, no, that's not it. Just flip it to it. I didn't give it to her, so I'm... I'm fussing at her, poor Betty. You know how many people I've run out of that booth being mean. 
And I come out there. If he's going to holler at me, I'm not coming back. All right. Now look at this. If by one man's offense, say Adam, death reigned because of Adam, not because of you. That's powerful. Actually, you're going to hell. It wasn't even your fault. It's your fault if you do because you read. That's why Jesus, that's why God paid the debt because you really weren't responsible. He paid it for you. Now, it is your responsibility to receive it and do something with it. All right. Much more, if death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How do you reign in life? Through righteousness. So can you see why being rooted in righteousness would be important? Absolutely. Now I'm going to close with this statement. You're not going to get rooted in righteousness because you came to church tonight. It won't happen. You didn't learn to drive a car because you read a book. You had to get the car out. You, there's something about us doing something over and over and over where it becomes in habit. This is why the Bible talks about you meditating the Word of God. You're not doing that to get brownie points with God. You're doing that for yourself. You're picking up your Bible, you're marking scriptures, and you're getting rooted in the Word. Now, denominational Christianity doesn't know this. They don't know it. Now, they're not bad people. They're just, you know, I don't want, I don't want to ever come across as us them, we're, we're smart. They're, I don't. I, I don't ever mean that, and I don't mean that at all. But they don't. But they don't know that, and they're not looking for it for whatever reason. They're not in a church where someone's teaching them truth. You'll know the truth, and truth sets you free. Well, they're not free because they're not in a church where it's being preached. Now, even though you come to this church, you literally need to get the Book of Romans out and and study it. And, and read it and meditate on it until you get rooted in what Jesus did for me. So that the next time you're praying, Heavenly Father, I'm coming to you. I'm receiving right now the, the healing that you gave to me. And I thank you for the blood and it's because of what Jesus did. And I, and, and I receive it now. I know, I, I know you heard me. I know I have it in Jesus' name. What do you, why, how'd you, how do you know that? Because, because of what Jesus did. You see, it's, it's, it's because of what Jesus did. You do it the same way you got born again. Getting healed is as easy as getting saved. And we have, uh, and I'm going to say this, I'm believing for my healing. What are you believing? You're not in faith at all. You're not even in faith. You're just hoping something happens. Because you said the right words. You heard someone say it and you say it to them. No. Did he save you? Are you believing for your salvation? No. You are. Say, I am. Are you believing for your healing? Say, no. Say, I am. That's faith. Now, even though the symptoms are there, you're going, uh-uh. That's faith. Oh, that's lying. No. Do you see how you just made the adjustment into faith? Because you're fighting from victory. All right, let's go back to a story real fast. Remember Rosa Parks? They took her and locked her up riding on the back of the, the front of the bus. Did she have a right to ride on the front of the bus? Was she trying to gain that right? No. It was already on the books. She was fighting a battle she had already been, it was already hers. When you get in a battle with the devil, you must understand that you're fighting something that on the books is yours. If you don't do that, you're not in faith. Now, I'm going to say this and we're going to close. Most faith people don't know that. (laughs) 
grab me the brush on the bottom here. So. And the, let me tell you something. The fight you fight is going to rest in Jesus. You're going to fight to rest in Jesus. <laughs> it sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But see, once you're rooted, you just go, ah, oh, devil, that you get, no, don't you even think about putting that on me in Jesus' name. I'm the healed. You're not just, you, you understand what you, now you've got a grasp on what you're doing. I am not sick, not going to be, and never will be, and you're not putting that up. Yeah, but your nose is running. Shut your mouth and take it back to hell with you. It's not mine. I'm the healed. Well, how do you know God's going to do it? He's not going to. He already did, and I've been made the righteousness of God. You think he's going to hear you? I'm the righteousness of God. Now you know what you're doing. Do you all see that? This is not real, this is not, this is not hard. Now let me go back to what I said because I'm out of time. You've got to take what I taught tonight and you have to meditate on this. You're not going to get it because you walk out of here and went, wasn't that good? You don't get root, you, you, your roots, can I take another 45 seconds? Our oak tree in our backyard came down because the roots never went very deep. It didn't have to. There's water everywhere. If you want a root system, you've got to stretch them down into the Word yourself. You can't be a surface Christian and walk in victory. The wind's going to take you out. you got a little root system's about this big and you're a big oak tree. That dog don't hunt. Your roots need to be huge. So you need to be rooted in righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, I, I did the best I could. <laughs> and I believe that we heard it and went, yay, hey, amen, that's true. We've been made righteous. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something, you ugly devil. We've been made righteous. And you're never going to take us out. You're not going to rip us off. You're not stealing from us anymore in Jesus' name. Now, Heavenly Father, thank you for this. Everybody say, I've been made the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am righteous. Hallelujah. Now watch, who, now watch who you say that around. You better have a Bible when you say that at the next Thanksgiving dinner with all your family members. Because they'll jump on you like a, like a bug on a, you know, like a, never mind. Go. Get out of here. Y'all have a good night. God bless every one of you. Bible. And other people did too. They're not the only ones. They're the ones that I remember. And, it's, and Brother Hagin came out of the Baptist church, became Assemblies of God, and it got to the place where neither one of them wanted them. That's why they started.